And I want you to open your Bibles today to the book of Acts. I'm aware that uh, I'm aware that I'm I'm somebody that grew up as a church kid, and so growing up as a church kid, you understand a whole different language sometimes, and you don't realize that it's a foreign language, right? I mean, some of you are sitting here going, "I get it," because when I came to church, I had no idea what you guys were talking about. You're all a little weird, sticking your hands in the air. Uh, some of the things you're saying, I didn't really get what you were saying. Felt good, but I didn't know what was happening. So sometimes I forget that I'm using a term that comes from the scripture, but is not a term that's used outside of the church a lot of times. And so sometimes we need to understand it. But then I also realize that sometimes as believers, we kind of just gain our own, uh, our, our own kind of definition and meaning to things that really doesn't come from the scripture. It just comes from our experience or our assumptions. And uh, I think it matters to know uh, what some of these things are. And, and one of the things you might have heard, one of the words you might hear as you're amongst believers is the, is the word anointing, you know, or anointed, you know, and that, that's a powerful word. It's not a small thing. Now, I've heard it used in, in all sorts of situations, and sometimes people use the word anointing when they feel the goosebumps, right? You know, oh man, that's the anointing. Maybe it is. But like preachers have said before, you know, if if goosebumps or tears or, or uh, a chills is, is what we're going by, then Disneyland is the most anointed place, you know? <laughs> because being emotionally moved is not the same as being moved by the Spirit. Right. However, when I'm in the presence of God and when you're in the presence of God, your emotions respond to that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I do have an emotional experience in the presence of God. I'm not a robot. And I like the fact that I have emotional experience in the presence of God. I like that. But that doesn't define it, right? Because if that were true, then, then your favorite movie that makes you cry every time, that song that pulls on your heartstrings, that means it's anointed. And that's not the case. So what is the anointing? What is, what is that? I mean, you might have heard somebody say, oh, she's so anointed. That singer is so anointed. Or that guy is so anointed. Which is a bit of an odd phrase to start with. Because it kind of it kind of makes it sound like like the anointing is a is a fuel level or something that you know that but but look through the scripture I'll tell you one thing you cannot separate from the anointing that's the Holy Spirit in fact they are the same the anointing is is what we what we would refer to when the Holy Spirit empowers. When the Holy Spirit is, is, is empowering you to do something, to, um, to, to, whether it's something happening on the inside of you or it's happening through you on the outside, it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can't separate the anointing from the Holy Spirit. So where does the term anointing come from? Most of you will know this, but the term anointing comes from the Old Testament when they would anoint with oil. So they, they put some olive oil on someone's head. Actually, the anointing oil that the priests used was a bit more of a mixture. It had a bunch of, it had some perfumes in it, things like that. But the anointing oil would, would flow. They, they just, I mean, they weren't just a little dabble, do you? They were pouring it over people's head. You get verses like in the Psalms where it talks about the oil dripping down from a guy's beard. I mean, it was thick. But that oil was to represent the Spirit of God. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did not permanently dwell within someone. 
The Spirit of God would rest on someone. The Spirit of God would fill someone at times, would, would, would empower them. But they did not have the Spirit in their lives. It was, it was, you had things like King David saying, Lord, don't take your Spirit from me. And the reason he had to say that is because it was a real thing that could happen. Because, you know, you, you, you read about the prophets, the, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to prophesy. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus, if you read the last three, four chapters of John, you see him set you up for the life-changing, most transform- transforming thing he could ever talk about, which was things are going to be different for you now. Because I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to send my Spirit to you. In fact, he says this. This is how he introduces the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to leave you, and it's going to be a good thing. And we talk about that and go, how could that be a good thing? If Jesus were here, like if you had the option, if you had the option for Jesus to physically be here as our guest speaker, I don't think there'd be anybody in the room that would not choose that as an option. And I'm not offended by that be like, of course, can Jesus physically be here and preach to us? That would be great. But he says, it's actually better for you if I go away. It's better for you if I'm not physically here. Because if I'm physically here, there's one man ministering to all you. But if I go to the Father, I will send my spirit and he will fill each and every one of you. He actually describes the Holy Spirit as another helper. If you dig into that word another, it's implying it's the same as what you've had these last three years walking with me. These last three years, you have had a teacher. You've had a guide. You've had somebody that empowered you. You had somebody that corrected you when you needed it. You had a shepherd. He says, when I go away, you're going to have a helper just like you've had. The only difference is you can't see him. You think about the disciples. Were they afraid of anything? Sure. But when Jesus was with them, that fear melted away. Because they go, well, as long as Jesus is here, the evil spirits will go. As long as Jesus is here, we know we're going in the right direction. As long as Jesus is here, the dead are raised. When Jesus is here, we know where to go. What happened? When he died, they scattered because they didn't know what to do. But then something happens. After his resurrection, he spends 40 days with them. But he says this in the end of Luke. He says, wait here in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Have you thought about that phrase, clothed with power? Have you considered that as your reality? I mean, clothed with power sounds like some superhero stuff. Clothed with power. I don't know about you, but that's just not something that most of the world feels most of the time. You go out shopping, you don't feel clothed with power. Right? Let's just be honest. Let's just be straight. Let's, let's be just, just honest with you. Most of the time, when we all get together and say, let's go, let's go tell some people about Jesus. Let's go pray for some people. Your first feeling isn't, I feel clothed with power. <laughs> Your first feeling is like, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, oh, give me a paper. <laughs> the first couple times, it gets better. It gets better, guys. But you know there's that, that feeling of, well, this is the reality, though. You've got to believe Jesus more than you believe your own emotions. And to be clothed with power. See, in the Old Testament, they would see that as a momentary thing. Something happened to you. The Spirit came on me. Whoa, I prophesy. But in the New Testament, that's your reality. Clothed with power from on high. What's he talking about? He's talking about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come. But the day of Pentecost was not an event. It was a beginning. 
So the day of Pentecost wasn't the day they were full of the Spirit. The day of Pentecost was the day they were filled and stayed full. They, they had to get refilled at times, didn't they? By Acts chapter 4, they got to get filled again. But the Spirit never left them. That's the cool thing. They didn't have to receive the Spirit again. The Spirit didn't come and go. They had the Holy Spirit, but they had to be filled again. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, for that's wastefulness, that's dissipation, but be filled. And, and if you look at that verb, it's not just be filled one time. It's keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. How? He says, singing together, teaching and admonishing one another, singing together, making melody with your hearts to the Lord, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody with your hearts to the Lord. So we are part of the process of keeping one another full of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, that filling of the Holy Spirit came when they all came together and prayed. In that verse that I just quoted, it comes through me admonishing and singing and you singing and us, us together praying together and talking together and, and worshiping together. Through that, God works in his body to fill us with his spirit. That's pretty cool. We felt moments where you felt the anointing. Definitely had moments where you say, that person is very anointed. But what does that mean that they're very anointed? Does that mean that they got the special sauce and you just got the light? The <laughs> diet version? Where do I go to sign up for the special stuff? Is there a special Bible school I can go to? How about if I get a certificate? Can I get a certificate and then I have it? Can I get that person to give it to me? My wife is from Spokane. Spokane was, uh, back in the early part of the last century, was well known for being the place that John G. Lake came back to and started his healing, uh, healing, what are they, healing school? Yeah. Is that what they call it? Healing rooms. That's it. Healing rooms. This was a guy that was mightily used by God all over the world to bring a message of healing through Jesus Christ. And he came and he set up a place where people could come and receive the word of God and receive the, receive, you know, have people praying for them and laying hands on them and they'd be healed. It was a wonderful thing. Well, he died in Spokane and, and he's buried there. And, you know, when I first visited Tia, uh, her pastor took me around and, and he kind of showed me the area where the healing rooms were and he said, he said, you know, there's still a bunch of folks that come to John G. Lake's grave and pray that his anointing would come on them. And that was just the weirdest thing I'd heard. You know why it bothered me? That sounds a lot like idolatry. Yeah. Sounds a lot like necromancy, you know. And, and here's the thing. This is what I really think. We're not in the Old Testament where some prophet's got to throw his mantle on you. You're in the New Testament where Jesus gave you his mantle. Amen. So if you're hoping for John G. Lake's anointing, I can one-up you. <laughs> I can offer you Jesus' anointing. Does that sound good? Amen. And I can't offer it. I can't give it to you. But he's offered it to all believers. Amen? Amen. So why are we looking for the anointing of a man or a woman when Jesus has said, you can have my spirit? What is the anointing? It's his spirit. Mm -hmm. It's his spirit empowering you. So if you're looking, see, look, I mean, uh, we look back in the Old Testament when Elijah threw his coat on Elisha and Elisha received a double portion. And there's some scriptural truths that we can gain from that. I believe in impartation. I believe in the laying on of hands. That's scriptural. That's New Testament. Timothy was prophesied over. The, the elders laid their hands on him and something changed in him. But the spirit that was empowering him wasn't the spirit of Paul. No. 
the spirit that was empowering him wasn't the spirit of, of Peter or James. The spirit that was empowering him was the spirit of Jesus. And that's available to all believers. So if you want someone to lay their hands on you, any believer can lay their hands on you. But if what the power is not coming from that believer, it's coming from Jesus himself. Why are you looking for somebody's anointing when you can have the king? You can have the real thing, not a cheap copy. That's the problem sometimes is we're trying to copy everybody else. And we see someone that's walking in the anointing and we say, I want that, so I'm going to imitate them. But here's the deal. There's, there's something to be said about imitating their faith. There's something to be said about following them as they follow Christ. But the one you're meant to imitate is Jesus. And that person is supposed to be a vessel of Jesus pointing you to Jesus. So the anointings, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I want to read you something from Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Lots of you knew, you could could quote this verse by heart. Acts 10, 38 says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. This is Peter talking to the Gentiles. Let me just set this up. You know, Peter has no idea how to talk to a Gentile about Jesus. This is the first time he's had to do it. I mean, he spoke to some non-Jews, but these were Jews on the day of Pentecost that were godly people that had come for the Jewish feast. So they were converts from other nations, but they had already believed in, in the Old Testament. They believed in the prophets. And they were looking for something, but they weren't foreign to the Scriptures. Neither is Cornelius, but Peter doesn't really know how to talk to Gentiles. He doesn't even know if he's allowed to. He doesn't think he's allowed to go to their house. So Jesus himself shows him a vision of these animals that he's not supposed to eat as a good Jew coming down, and he says, kill and eat these animals. He says, I can't. I'm a good Jew. I can't do that. And, and God says to him, don't ever call unclean what I've cleansed. And the thing is, is that Peter is so stubborn that he has to get the same vision three times in a row. Can you imagine that? God giving you this vision, boom, you're seeing everything, and then you're like, yeah, but no still. I don't think so. Well, let me try again. You see the whole thing. You're convincing me a little bit, but I'm not fully there. Okay, one more time. But also, he sees that vision three times, and three Gentiles show up at his door. They lead him to Cornelius' house. A Gentile, a God-fearing Gentile, but a Gentile nonetheless, comes to his house and he opens his mouth and begins to say this. You've heard of Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And those two things go right together. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And watch this. How he went about... So he went out with that power. It wasn't just to give him nice goosebumps at home. He went about healing all, I love that verse, hey, all who were oppressed by the devil. There's nobody left out of that. There's no loopholes to that. There's nobody that doesn't qualify for that. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? For God was with him. Well, what does that mean for God was with him? How do we know God was with him? What was the evidence that God was with him? The evidence that God was with him was at the beginning of that verse that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God is the presence of God, the power of God, all of that. There, there's a, there's, there's t- 
more than one side to God being with us. There's a God being with us to know his presence, to know he never leaves us or forsakes us. But there's also that, that with you, like when you say, let's go take that mountain. I'm with you. doesn't just mean my presence is here. It means I'm, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. We're going to do this together. When he says God is with him, it means God is for him. God is that power. And, and the way that God demonstrated that, the way that God enacted that was by the Spirit of God being on Jesus and in Jesus. So every miracle Jesus did was done by the Holy Spirit. That's why I don't think it's a coincidence that the Spirit comes on him and remains at the baptism of Jesus. And it's after that that it says he does the miracle at the wedding of Cana, and this is the first of the signs that he did. The first miracle, the major miracle that Jesus did was done after that Holy Spirit came and rested on him. It seems like in order for us to see the anointing at work, we need to go to the places that need the anointing. Right? One of the great things about the last 50 years is that the church has come back into rediscovering the presence of God in a real, tangible way. See, we've always believed that the presence of God was here, the omnipresence of God. He never leaves us. He's everywhere. But what the church is coming back into knowing is that manifest presence of God, that tangible, that that presence of God that's not just just understood up here, but felt and experienced, and, and, and the presence of God that changes things. The church has begun to embrace that, not just, not just Pentecostals and Charismatics, but people all over the body of Christ are embracing this because it's in the Bible, right? And it's cool to see. I mean, I, I meet with pastors once a week, pastors from all over the city, and you would be amazed at the pastors from different churches that you would swear don't believe, like, don't believe quite like that, that are saying, yeah, we want more of that, Amen. that are believing for healings, that are believing for prophecy, that are believing for all this stuff. Thank God. So the church is, is coming alive. But one of the things that came with that understanding of the anointing and the presence of God was as people began to embrace it, they began to kind of set boundaries as to how this would happen and, and where this would happen. And so we expect it, and, and really that's the, the key word there is where we expect it. We expect God to show up when we sing. I think that's absolutely scriptural. He inhabits the praises of his people. He's there. He walks amongst his people when they worship. That's, that's in the Bible. That's good. So that's good, but at times we've limited it to that. So we expect to have an experience with God that was more of a consumer experience, right? So the anointing became about what I feel, right? I feel the anointing. I like the feeling of the anointing. I do. And we've had unsaved people come in the door and their legs feel like jelly in the presence of God and they don't know what's going on, but they like it, right? And they come and they go, I don't know what's happening here. I don't know what happened, but I want this. Whatever this is, I want this. We've had these conversations and it's a wonderful thing, but that is only one side for what God's doing. As you see here, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and he did something with that. It wasn't so that Jesus could have nice experiences on the mountaintop, but rather so that he could go and do something with the anointing. I'm going to read you something that you also know well in Luke chapter 4. 
Luke 4, of course, is Jesus reading out of Isaiah. We'll go all the way to Luke 4, 18. Just skip right to it. He reads out of the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this is talking about me. This is, this is all about me. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I think it's important at this point that we understand the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. They're all one, and yet they're distinct. Here, he's speaking about the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, we often think about the Father sending Jesus, and that's true. But here, he's talking about the Spirit sending him. When he first was, had this, the Holy Spirit came on him when he was baptized, the first thing that happened, he says, he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. So what's the first thing the Holy Spirit did through him? The first thing the Holy Spirit did was empower him to face down the Satan himself. And and, in an old west showdown, a gunslinging battle, just kick his butt in the desert. Without food or water for 40 40 days. How how, how spiritual do you feel? How, How energetic do you feel? 40 days not eating. I mean, a lot of us are like, you know, that's about the point where I'm, I'm probably looking for pizza. That's the part of the point where I want to take a nap. Jesus faced off the devil and was tempted in all things mm-hmm. under the power of the Holy Spirit. But then he went about, and, and, and this is early in the story. He goes and he announces, this is what I'm here to do. He says, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Be, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to. He anointed me to do something. See, an anointing of God is not just for your goosebumps. It's not just a a, a pump me up, even though that's great. I mean, guys, I've come out of church sometimes and felt like I drank 10 Red Bulls. I get it. We've had counseling sessions where you talked with somebody, you talked with somebody you couldn't get through, and then they come into the presence of God and worship. They come to the altar, and they kneel, and they just lift their hands, and, and they say, in that moment, it broke. In that moment, I had breakthrough. In that moment, everything changed. What you couldn't do, 10 hours of talking, God did in five seconds of surrender. That's what the power of God can do. But it's more than just you feeling good and feeling, feeling chills and goosebumps. The anointing has a purpose. The anointing of God has a purpose. See, the Holy Spirit is always with you, but the anointing is for a purpose. And if you can get on board with that purpose, a lot of people say, you know, how can we, I want to walk in the anointing of God. Well, I think there's, there's different levels to that. First of all, be filled with the Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, just, it's just basic science But if you're going to fill something, you've got to make sure it's empty of other things, right? Something's going to be filled with one substance. It needs to be empty of other substances. So being filled with the Spirit probably means that in the process of being filled with Him, a lot of me has got to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. 
I got to lay my pride down. I got to humble myself. I got to lay some things down that I thought were important and let him fill me with him, his self, and his purposes. It's probably got a lot to do with what we talked about earlier, being around other believers that encourage one another and singing, admonishing one another, teaching and admonishing one another, singing together with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. There's some of that with it. But let me tell you, there's something else. You really want to walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Get on board with his purpose. Get on board with Jesus' mission. You start walking out Jesus' mission, you will find the Spirit of God is there. So many of us are waiting for the feeling, and then, you know, the feeling will somehow lead us. If I get enough feeling, I'll want to do all this stuff. But I'm going to tell you, everything you do is by faith. And faith is not feeling. Faith is something bigger. And so sometimes in faith, you've got to step out even when you don't feel it yet. But believing that if I get on board with Jesus' mission, if I get on board with the mission of the Holy Spirit on this planet, when I get on board with his mission, his spirit will be there. The Spirit of the Lord has upon me. He anointed me to do something. And I want to tell you, maybe you've gone around saying, oh, he's so anointed. Oh, she's so anointed. Let me tell you, ah, you're so anointed. If you just believe that the Spirit of God is within you, just believe that he wants to fill you to overflowing and get on board with what he wants to do. I'm all for, I I truly believe in the healing in the peace and the joy that comes in the presence of God through the Spirit of God. I believe the anointing heals us so that we can be a source of healing for others. Amen? So I'm completely, don't, don't get me wrong, I am completely on board with you experiencing the Spirit of God working on you so you can go out because Jesus said to the disciples, freely you've received. Now freely give. So you got to receive before you can give, right? So I don't want you to, to, to just think, well, this isn't for me. This is for everybody else. It's for you, but it is also for everyone else. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That word poor, it literally means somebody that's hunched over, somebody that is, is, is just slouched over. It's translated in one place in the Bible as worthless. It's, it, it's not just talking about somebody who doesn't have money. It's talking about somebody that is, needs, is in need, is, is needy. And certainly, I believe that Christians and believers should be ministering to the, to the, to the actual, like physically poor right here. But, but, you know, if you just say preach the gospel to people that don't have money, I think Jesus preached to everybody. And so it wasn't just about not having money. It was a a place of spiritual poverty. Because all of us were poor. Do I believe that we should, I mean, you can find plenty of other scriptures where Jesus gave to the poor, he ministered to the poor. And I'm talking about people that didn't have enough. Physically, he didn't have enough. So that's scriptural, but it's also here. It's not just talking about preaching the gospel to people that don't have money. It's talking about preaching the gospel to everyone for everyone is in a state Particularly people that realize it. Jesus didn't seem to have much time for the people that thought they didn't need anything. He gave them a chance. Then he said, I'm leaving you. And they said, well, said, well we want to challenge you, Rabbi. He said, I don't have time for you. I'm going to go to the people that know they need something. I'm going to go to the people that are aware. What did he say? In the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are those are the poor in spirit. These are the people that are going to receive something from God who realize they need something from God. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release 
to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. I think in all of these, you can find literal and metaphorical both, and they all go together. Proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. But going back to verse 18, it seems to me if you want to find where Jesus is doing ministry, it's in those places you least expect to find fruit. It's often in the places you don't really want to be. The anointing of the Holy Spirit has a purpose. If you want to get on board with that purpose, I wonder if it's that hard to find some poor. I wonder if it's that hard to find a captive. I wonder if it's that hard to find the blind or the oppressed or somebody that needs to know the favorable year of the Lord. That, they, that this is now the year of God's favor. And when we say year, I don't mean 2017. This is the age. This is the time because of Jesus that God said, I will not be angry with you. For he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. Jesus bore the sin of the world. So we stand in the Lord's favor. If you want to get on board with the anointing, you say, I want God to be with me. I want to feel the spirit of God. I want to walk in power. Well, praise God. Surrender yourself to God. Empty yourself. Let him fill you. But guys, if you, want to, if you want to say, I want to walk in that, I want to know that, then get on board with the mission of the Holy Spirit. The anointing has a purpose. And maybe some of you are saying, I used to feel it, guys. I used to feel it. I used to come into church and I'd feel it. And, and maybe you think, well, has the music changed? Has, has the preaching changed? Has the, have the lights changed? What's changed? I want to challenge you that maybe it's not your atmosphere that's changed. Maybe it's you that's changed. You say, well, no, I come at the same time I always did. I sit in the same chair I always did. Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> maybe the problem is, is that you have ate a full meal, but you've done nothing with the meal that's in your belly. Like we've said so many times before, you put on the fireman's equipment, but you haven't gone to put out any fires. So now you just got heavy equipment on that, that is tired and heavy. It's, it's burdensome. The anointing of God has a purpose to it. Mm-hmm. And I find that people, if, you, if long enough you just view the anointing as a consumer thing, the spirit of God as a consumer thing, let me feel it, let me experience it. After a while, you don't feel it like you used to. And it's not that the spirit left, but you've forgotten the purpose. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to do this. It's not that hard to find the environment and the atmosphere to do this. Jesus went to every village and he found these people. In fact, he just announced, this is what we're here to do. This is what I'm here to do. And they brought these people. I love it that Peter says, you've heard that he did all this, but he did all this because God was with him. God was with him. And so he went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. The Holy Spirit was on him and anointed him to do something, to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those that are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. In Acts chapter 11, something happens when the church is scattered. And when the church is scattered because of persecution, people spread out throughout the whole empire and begin to run away from Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, folks are getting hauled off to prison. Some folks are getting killed. Property is being seized, so they're moving. 
It says in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, so then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So you had a whole bunch of people that were just speaking to their own, to the people they could identify with. I kind of mentioned this before with Peter, but can you imagine If all you know is that Jesus is the Messiah, you look how he talked to his Jewish brethren. He went back through the Old Testament and the prophets, through Moses, the law, the prophets, the Psalms. And he says, don't you see Jesus is in this? He's the Messiah we've been waiting for. Now go to somebody that has no clue about that. Go to someone and tell, tell them, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. The what now? You know, he's the one that the prophets talked about. What prophets? He's, he's anointed by God. Which, which God? We've got a few. And they're not very nice people. How do you communicate the gospel to someone that doesn't even have the same starting point? It was real easy when we're talking to our own people, but now we're sent to a, a group of people that we don't know where to start. You can understand their, their trepidation. Not only that, but they've been taught all their life that these people are unclean. You're, you're clean. You're chosen. They're not. And they're having to get over that, right? This is a new thing. So they're only talking to Jews also. Well, praise the Lord. That's good, but there's more. How many of you have ever felt like that? Like, well, why would God send me to those people? I don't understand what they're going through. Right? I mean, like, well, how could I talk to... S- I mean, like, you know, I know there's lots of people here in the church today that came out of addiction, and God's using you to go back and minister healing to those that are in addiction. But God's, there's also some of you in the audience today that have ministered to people in addiction or on the streets, and you've never experienced that in your life, but God still sent you. And there's a thought in your head, I can't, because I can't relate to them. I can't identify with that. But let me tell you something, your Savior can You have a high priest who knows what they're going through. They are not asking you into their heart. They are not confessing you as Lord. They are hearing about the Savior. And you bring Jesus to them. So you might say, well, I can't relate to this group of people. Maybe God will send somebody who can relate. Or or maybe it's the flip side. Maybe you say, these people are real, like, really put together, and I'm not. I came out of a wacky background. Why would God ever send me to the universities? Why would God ever send me to this? You know what? Just let God sort that out. Right? Let God sort it out. Let him be God. Let him tell you. But these guys, so the first group, just went to the people that they could relate to, just their own culture. But then it says, there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. I want you to see that phrase that's recorded by the historian Luke. The hand of the Lord was with them. 
there's the presence of the Lord. There's the omnipresence of the Lord. He's always present. There's that knowing that as a believer, Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. But then there's the hand of the Lord. What does a hand mean to you? A hand is what you do stuff with, right? Like a hand is productive. A hand has a purpose. You use your hands to get things done. You use your hands to accomplish. You use your hands to work. The hand of the Lord was with them. So what does it look like when the hand of the Lord is with you? That's more than just a sense of the Lord. When I hear the hand of the Lord in the Bible, when you see the hand of the Lord in the Bible, that's more than just knowing God's with us. That's seeing his work. That's seeing his hand. That is experiencing his power. Why was the hand of the Lord with them? Was it because, like I said, they drank the special sauce? They got the, they got the good stuff? Was it, was it because Peter laid, their hands, laid his hands on them and the other guys didn't get any hands laid on them? No, the reason was, was because they obeyed the Lord, they got out of what was comfortable, and they began talking to people they didn't want to talk to. They got on board with Jesus' mission because what did Jesus tell them? You will preach this gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. You know what the problem with the church of Jerusalem was? Jerusalem was the city they were afraid of. Jerusalem was the city of their enemies, the city that crucified Jesus. But they finally got a foothold in Jerusalem. They had 12 out of 12 apostles in Jerusalem. All the power players were there, the best preachers, the best prayers, the most anointed people, if you want to put it, put it that way. Everybody was in Jerusalem. They had a big church full of thousands of people that loved Jesus. Boom, miracles are happening. And you know what? We all like big churches. We like to feel, and you may say, no, I like a small church. Well, okay, fine. But we like to feel like we're part of a big group, like something's happening. Can you imagine having 12 apostles in your group, like the original? One who replaced Judas but still was there at the resurrection of Jesus. You have the eyewitnesses of Jesus, and they're tag-teaming. Can you imagine that? Peter's going to preach this Sunday. Next Sunday, it's James. Then it's Nathaniel. Then it's Philip. I mean, I mean we're just, this is going to be fun. I said Philip, but Philip was part of the other group. There, no, there was Philip at the time. So anyways, I'm just talking to myself, and that's fine. You guys talk amongst yourself. <laughs> you know who knows all the disciples' names? My little boy Moses. Because somebody got him a disciple set and it had the names on the bottom. And so he was asking us, who's this, who's this? So when he's two years old, he's in the tent saying, that's James. That's other James. That's Jude. He knows all the names. And we're like, who's that again now? That's Thaddeus. Oh, okay. You know, it was cool. Anyways. <laughs> so they don't want to leave Jerusalem because it's happening here. We're, we're, they're getting to a place of comfort. But what did Jesus tell them? What was his mission? Start here, then spread out. Nobody was listening to that. Because we, once we feel this nice, I feel the presence of God here. Ooh, the anointing is in the room. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Thousands of people praising God together. What could be better? I'll tell you what could be better. All those people out there hearing the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can come to Jerusalem. Isn't that what we did when we came for the feasts? We were pilgrims, came to Jerusalem. They can do the same thing. Come see us. And Jesus' Jesus' message wasn't tell everybody to come, even though there's part of that because people came to him. But he said, you go into the world. He didn't say tell the world to come to you. You go into the world. 
So at some point, they all get rustled up and they have to leave. But some of them are still carrying that Jerusalem identity of, well, I will find people that are like me and I will tell them about Jesus. And that's a good thing. But the hand of the Lord was with those that got on board with the larger mission and began to preach to people they weren't comfortable with. And I want you to notice something about Barnabas. He came and he encouraged them and he saw the grace of the Lord with him. And it says, for he was a man, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Why do you think that's there? Because don't you think anybody would come and, and be happy with a church that was growing and seeing miracles? I think there were a lot of people that would have came there and felt uncomfortable. There were a lot of people that probably would have came there and felt this shouldn't be happening like this. Barnabas was able to see something that was different than what he was used to and recognize God in it. And so he was uniquely qualified to be there at that moment. I think that if some, some other people had come, they might have shut it down or they might have somehow limited it. But Barnabas was a good man, full of faith and full of the Spirit. You want to step out of what's comfortable, you got to be full of faith and full of the Spirit. I want to know that the hand of the Lord is with me. But you know, the hand of the Lord is with you when you go out and do what he sent you to do. And that's all throughout the Bible. They say, you know, the people say, is God going to be with us? And they say, well, God told us to do it, so you go do it and God will be with you. And that's something we got to get, we got to catch. Get on board with Jesus' mission. He will come with you. Go out and find these people. I bet they're pretty close. I bet they're a lot closer than you think. I bet you work with some of them. I bet you can run across them in, 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 every five minutes walking around the city. Somebody that needs Jesus. And it might not be somebody that looks like they need anything. Might be driving a fancy car. Might be pushing around a shopping cart with all their clothes in it. Either way, somebody needs Jesus. And Jesus was not afraid to put himself in a position to, to, to meet them at the point of their greatest need and say, God is with me to do this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this. The anointing has a purpose. I thank God for your goosebumps. But the anointing is for more than just your goosebumps. The anointing has a purpose. Get on board with the purpose and you'll see the power of God with you. Get on board with the mission and you'll see the hand of God with you. I want to see the hand of God moving through the city. I want to see the anointing known throughout the city. And that's going to be more than just turn the lights down, get the keyboard playing, and it'll come. That's going to be some people stepping into chaos with the power of God and seeing it work like he sent us to do. Some people saying, I know some brokenhearted people. I know some captives. I know some who physically need healing. I, I know some who are oppressed by the devil. I know some who are in a place of deep poverty. I know some who need someone to proclaim release to the captives. I know some people that are captive to addiction. I know some people who are captive to their own guilt. I know some people that are suicidal. I know some people that don't think there's any hope left. And I might not even know how to relate to them. But I know the Savior that saved me can save them too. That'll do it, right? This conversation we've had so many times. This person has some problems with Christians. They have a problem with the church. They had an abusive father who made them go to church when they were kids. My heart breaks for those people. 
I understand because I've heard enough of these stories and I understand what it can do to you and how you start telling people about Jesus and they start thinking about an institution and how this has hurt them in the past. Whether or not those people were believers or not, I don't know. Whether those that called themselves Christians were truly Christians, I don't know and it's not my place to judge. But there are people that you're encountering that going, I, I, I have a problem with Jesus because of this. You know what it all comes back to? I didn't ask you to ask them into your life. I didn't say they could save you. I'm introducing you to Jesus. You see, you talk about hypocrites. You know the one guy who was never a hypocrite was Jesus Christ. You talk about people that have, have, uh, uh, have taken advantage of others and, and, and used their power to control. The one guy who laid his life down for us, used his power to serve us, was Jesus Christ. And I find sometimes, guys, we got to get past the debate and to the point of need. You can win an argument or you can say, there's a need this person has and Jesus can meet it right now. Jesus preached the kingdom, but then he healed the sick and cast out evil spirits. He met them right where their need was. He didn't say, if you follow me for 10 weeks, then I'll pray, then I'll lay my hands on you and you'll be healed. He healed them right there. Right? There's going to be people that you encounter that intellectually can't get past the mental block they've got. But what they have is a need for a Savior, and they don't know how to describe it. And it might be a physical healing that they need. It might be deliverance that they need. It might be all these things. But the anointing is there to do what the Holy Spirit did with Jesus 2,000 years ago. He's still doing today. Get on board with the mission. The anointing of God has a purpose. Amen? Amen. Stand up with us this morning.